This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 99 and we, I mean, we are one week away from episode 100. We are one week away from the second anniversary of Militantly Mixed launching We have just hit three milestones this week, or we're about to within the next day, that I will, some of it I've already shared on social media, some of it I'm trying to wait until the second anniversary episode to share, but there's crazy growth, like there's just crazy changes happening with respect to Militantly Mix that I am so excited about and so appreciative of y'all being here like uh, I don't know I don't know I I had a lot of rest this weekend I feel good and I I just don't even know what to say <laughs> I do have my notes to tell me what to say during the intro today but now that I'm here and recording I just I have to thank everybody which is what predominantly next week's episode will be focusing on but I have to thank y'all. This has been an insane journey in my life. My life is fully changed, fully changed by the experience of creating Militantly Mix and having it keep going through two years. Statistically, independent podcasts don't survive for very long. When I was first looking for mixed race podcasts a couple years ago, I've talked about it before. There was a handful of dead podcasts, meaning just that they had stopped at some point. And and there was some journalistic podcasts about mixed folks that were more uh, topical. They were only meant to be a mini series or a limited run. And now if you Google mixed race podcasts, I think there's about like 12 or 13 that pop up instantly, you know, that aren't hard to search for anymore. And I'm just so excited to be a member of that club. You know, uh, we all tell the stories differently. We all share the stories differently. But we have these options. We have options now that we didn't have. We did not have these options even three years ago. So I'm really looking forward to year three of Militantly Mixed and the changes, the additions, I guess, more than changes that are going to happen as we go into year three. and. And I'm just really, I'm just so excited and enthusiastic for the future of Militantly Mix. And it's, it's due to all y'all. I've gotten amazing experiences. 
I now have a whole slew of new cousins in my life, a lot of which have stayed in my life in some way, shape, or form. And every now and then I get to meet some of y'all in person. So I don't know. It's just been it's just been really, really good. I don't want to do too much reflecting on this episode though, because that's what next week's episode is about. But I had to take a moment to to do that because it's been a crazy week of hitting hitting milestones that I I don't know if I was anticipating even a year ago, uh, let alone two when we started the show. But for this episode, I do have a few bits of news and announcements before we get into sharing the the recording for today. As I mentioned last week, this is not it's not really a part two, but it's an extension of the conversation that I had with Dr. Jen Noble, who was the guest last week. We ended up kind of meandering through casual conversation. I just hadn't turned off the record button and we kept talking. And there was a segment, a section of the conversation in which we did talk about uh, mental health and therapy, which if you've been with me for a while, you know, is a topic I'm passionate about. I do talk about my own mental health quite a bit on the show. Um, And I want to have Militantly Mixed be a safe space in which y'all can feel like you can discuss and be open about your mental health if you would like to and be comfortable with without shame or judgment, because that is not an area in which shame or judgment should exist. It is why I am so open about my own mental health on the show. And um, and being that Dr. Jen Noble is a psychologist, uh, we got into it a little bit. So what you're going to hear towards the second half of the show is going to be that snippet of a conversation of the extended conversation that we had. Um, it wasn't a structured conversation. It wasn't a part of the interview. It was, it was more casual. I didn't include the whole second part of our conversation because we did meander, like I said, just, just sharing with you the section that we discussed a little bit, uh, mental health and therapy. And I would like to make sure that we do have a space within the community to share and talk about mental health because it is, um, I mean, how the fuck else are we going to get through life, man? You know, we, we need to be able to feel like we have uh, safety and being able to, to discuss it and getting a chance to speak to a mixed race psychologist for the first time in my life was a pretty big deal, even though we weren't in a therapy arrangement. It, there was it was something kind of really empowering about being able to have that conversation with someone who uh, would get it <laughs> from experience, get it versus from books, uh, even though they're educated in the field. Um, but specifically talking about the mixed race experience as it relates to mental health was was pretty important. And going forward, I would like to actually have more episodes about this. You know, when the show first started. Uh, Javia Nicole from Black Radical Queer and I used to have these episodes called uh, Mind on My Melanin, and we would share a segment of it on her show and a segment of it on my show. And then, you know, our lives being what they were, they just got so busy, we didn't continue. We didn't get to continue on doing them for too long. Um, but it's never far away from my mind to to talk about mental health and have a space for that. So Dr. Jen Noble, you're going to hear from her again. She's definitely coming back uh, so that we can tackle more parts of um, mental health while mixed. Uh, But that's what we're going to get into today. Before I do that, uh, let me just share some of the, I guess, the news and the announcement things that I want to do for this episode before we get to the anniversary episode next week. Okay, first of all, (laughs) I realized that everything that you try, it's always worth trying something if you think that there's good in it. 
but sometimes it doesn't work and that it's okay if it doesn't work out. And sometimes I find that I will try to jam a square peg into a round hole to get something to work. And I really needed to learn the lesson. <laughs> that's, that's not always a good and effective use of time and energy and space and all kinds of stuff. So over the last month or so, I've been doing a lot of fundraising through the show which you've heard about every episode. We have, and still do, have the Militantly Mix and the Bell Project Legal Defense Fund, in which we are trying to raise a minimum of $2,000 for the Bell Project. The Bell Project being something that of personal interest in, to me, I w I'm really passionate about, I don't like the word bell reform, but dismantling the bell system. Uh, because I think it's a very flawed system. It it leaves a whole lot of space for, for systemic racism to impact black and brown lives in a major and negative way. And so that was, and it's also easy to partner with them for fundraising. That is why uh, we initiated the Militantly Mixed Bell Project Legal Defense Fund. That is going to stay up. Hopefully we'll hit that $2,000. If we hit it and pass it, that's the goal. Honestly, it's something that I wouldn't mind just leaving open forever in case anybody is feeling like they need to do some donations. Uh, we have that space for it. So if you want to give money to the Bell Project, in the immediate future, that fundraiser is designed to help in terms of our uh, siblings that are out there protesting, even though um, the news cycle isn't covering them as much. There are still protests, rallies all around the country. And there's still you know, police brutality and harassment that is happening in those spaces. So um, the Bell Project in the immediate future is for helping to bail out our protesting siblings. You know, we don't want them stuck in jail longer than they would necessarily have to if money is the reason, if bail is the reason why they can't get out. Uh, so that is open and that is in the show notes and it is always going to be there probably. As long as they let me keep it open, I will continue to to stretch that goal. The second way that we've been fundraising is through the Mixed and Hella Black t-shirt, which is on the Teespring website, which is also in the show notes. The net profits for that shirt goes to Black Lives Matter. I'm not taking any profit or, or anything from it. The other portion of the sales goes directly to Teespring because that's the production cost and the hosting cost and all that kind of stuff. But what's ever left over after they take their fees goes directly to Black Lives Matter. Those are my two main fundraising avenues that I've had over the last month or so. But then I tried to get creative to find yet another way to raise funds. <laughs> and uh, it, it didn't really work out. So I'm going to go ahead and pull it because I tried two times to, to force the square peg in the round hole and, and it didn't work. Uh, what we were going to do is a couple friends of mine had were willing to donate the cost of Three t-shirts, mixed and hella black t-shirts, and one hoodie. And what we were going to do is we kind of stole from this idea that was going with another fundraiser in which these gamers had people donate a minimum of $5 and then you could get a package of games. In this case, it was donating $5 to be entered to win, you know, four raffle tickets to be entered to win a mixed and hella black t-shirt. It didn't work. The first week, I think it didn't work because I talked about it on Instagram live once and then I struggled to kind of post about it every day. I, I put together a couple posts, but I didn't want to keep recycling the same information. So I just kind of didn't do a very good job of it. 
Uh, so I decided to talk about it on the show because that's your main avenue to Militantly Mix anyway and extend it for a week. So we talked about it last week on the show. And um, over the course of the last week, we didn't get any donations. So I'm not going to try to extend it one more week. We tried it. It didn't work out. I haven't been able to talk to Shay about the donation of the t-shirt since she's dealing with a family issue right now anyway. So I don't necessarily want to bother her for it right now since we didn't have any donations and it's not a priority. If she still ends up wanting to donate a t-shirt, or two going forward, uh, then I'll just raffle them off without without fundraising necessarily. But from now, that thing's just over. That's why I'm not announcing a new winner today. That's why you didn't see it on Instagram the night before. We tried it. It didn't work out. But we still have two avenues to raise funds for Black Lives Matter and for uh, the Bell Project, which I what I think are solid, and and I'll keep I'll keep leaving those avenues available for as long as they are useful. Yeah, so we talked about the raffle. We talked about the other fundraisers. Uh, We're going to get into mental health. Uh, The anniversary show is coming up next week. Now let's get into the hiatus. (laughs) I've been talking about that I'm going to take some time off in in July. For those of you who've been with me for a while, you're used to this. I, I, I take off a month a couple times a year for mental health. I call it my mental health hiatus. Um, normally I do it in April, August, and December, but this April I did not take it because it was the start of the co. It was a little few weeks after the um, the COVID shut down the shelter in place, so that was happening all over the world, and I felt like I needed that community aspect. I needed that connection to people, and so we stuck it out. We kept the show going during the month of April. We also started the social distancing hangouts, which has become a fixture now of the militantly mixed world, which we do every Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And throughout April, it was how I got through. I personally, uh, I don't talk too much about it on the show, but COVID is actually something that terrifies the fuck out of me, like in a really big, bad way. In addition to like, I don't have a lot of health issues, but I do have some physical body issues. And um, I also don't have health insurance. So the idea of me going out into the world right now is is terrifying and I'm not doing it unless I absolutely have to, which is pretty much just work. And if I have to go to a store, but uh, I stayed with the, the show during April because I needed that connection. Now that it's, we've gone through the first, we're not even through with the first wave, but we've gone through the initial part of the peak of the first wave and the stresses that came along with that. In addition, the the civil unrest that we've been experiencing over the last month and my need and desire to figure out ways that I could help the cause from my house since I wasn't going outside was there was a lot. It got overwhelming for for many of us. I think of if not all of us, we we really struggled to try to figure out how to live our lives in the time of both COVID and these current round of civil unrest and uprising. And it did hit a point a couple of weeks ago where I was really struggling, really, really struggling. And I kind of wanted to break immediately, but I felt like I needed to push through at least through the end of June. And then when I remembered that the anniversary episode was coming up, I, I thought, okay, that's actually a good end, uh, you know, close point. I could, I could rest after the anniversary. What's happened over the last couple of weeks is I've actually had a couple of days off. 
those few days off have helped tremendously. So I feel like I'm in a lot better place today than I was even two weeks ago. That being said, I don't want to fool myself into thinking I've rested enough. So I am going to take the remaining three weeks of July off, but I'm not going to leave you high and dry. There will be something every Tuesday as per normal. I just won't be recording new um, episodes during that time. So I won't be doing any interviews. I won't be releasing. I won't necessarily be releasing any new footage. I, I may um, if I have time to edit it this week before I go on hiatus. But if not, I'll I'll do some reruns. I'll share some information that, you know, might be might be something you haven't heard if you just joined us this year. You know, that way you can you can hear some some of your old cousins tell their stories again. So there will be at least something every Tuesday during the three weeks that I will be taking the break. And then we'll come back hot in August, back with new episodes and new mixed race narratives. So lastly, before we get into um, the second half of my conversation with Dr. Jen, uh, I do want to share something that's going to be happening this week. So really, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you have time to catch it or Wednesday morning, you have time to catch this. Uh, If you're listening to it afterwards, uh, then it'll be available on video after the fact. Uh, You may remember Alison Hart, the author of Mostly White, the mixed race narrative novel of four generations of mixed race women. She was on the show back in 2018, towards the end of 2018. And she's actually one of the few folks that I've actually met in in real life uh, after after having her on the show. Uh, She approached me about doing a panel called uh, Decenter. Mixed Race Artists for Black Lives, and we are going to sort of co-host a a live streaming panel, which will be on YouTube. I will not have the link until right before we start the panel, so keep an eye on our social media pages so that you can get access to that link if you want to watch it live. It will also be available on YouTube after the fact. But the participants on this panel are Richard B. Pierre, who is the creator of the What Are You film. It is a short-form documentary that is currently screening online through the San Francisco Black Film Festival. I'll put a link to the show notes of that so you can watch the film in advance if you'd like to. I think you can, I think it's about $4 somewhere around there for you to be able to stream the the doc, but it is, um, is a documentary about mixed race folks. So he is going to be participating. You would also remember Sonia Smith-King, who is uh, director of the Multiracial Americans of Southern California. She is also the owner and creator of the Mixed Up Clothing line. Both of those, there'll be links in the show notes to both of those things. Sonia, I think was episode, oh, I used to know these numbers. Uh, I think she might have been episode eight or nine. She she was definitely in the, fir- in the first part of, um, of Militantly Mixed, and she's going to be participating in this. We're also going to have uh, Teresa Stovall, auntie, who was on the show a couple weeks before the civil unrest started. And she is the author of Swirl Girl. Uh, let's see, is that all of us? Yeah. And so it's going to be myself, Allison Hart. We're going to kind of be co-hosting and, and co-moderating the panel. And uh, we'll be joined by uh, Teresa Stovall, Sonia Smith-King, and uh, Richard B. Pierre. So head on over to the social media ch- platforms. That's where you're going to find the link. It'll either be in the Facebook group, the Facebook page, the Twitter or or, um, Instagram, and we'll post the links before we get going, and then it'll be available streaming on YouTube as well. And then after the fact, it should stay on YouTube and everything. So 
I will also include as a bonus for the Patreon sponsors, I will be including the the audio for for that. It should be up by Thursday morning, if not Thursday afternoon, for those of y'all that are Patreon sponsors. So yeah, so we got some we got some good things coming up. I'm hoping to get a, a monthly or at least every two months panels going through militantly mix. This is gonna be the start. It's gonna be the tester. I'm learning how to do live streaming. So I might be completely awkward and everything like that, but I hope y'all will bear with me and hopefully I'll be able to curate some really good panels coming forward after this one. So stay tuned to that. I will put anything that I can in the show notes for you on time. And if not, if it's not there, go to the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed, or you can join the private Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Militantly Mixed podcast. And those will be all of the avenues that you can find out that YouTube thing. All right. Is that all of the things? I think that is all of the things. We talked about fundraising. Talked about the anniversary show, the hiatus, the panel, the raffle fail. Uh, yep, yeah, I think that's good. So, without further ado, please help me in re-welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mix family, Dr. Jen Noble, and our continuing conversation from last week in which we focus on mental health while mixed. So in terms of like your, your practice, like, do you do mm-hmm. mixed race focused therapy with anybody or is that, yeah, um, okay. So how mm-hmm. are you finding people, like, are people coming to you because they're really struggling with their identity? And if so, like, how are they working through that pro- like process with you? How does that I look? think people come to me um, because they have other things going on in life that they want to get therapy for, Mm -hmm. but that being mixed is a part of it. And so they would like to be able to address it with someone who understands it versus trying to bring it up to a therapist who's going to be like, well, that doesn't matter or, you know, just not get it. So a lot of times that gets tied into the other stuff that they might've been going through. So honestly, I don't, I really don't think it's ever about being mixed itself. Okay. It's, it's more like, um, I'm mixed. I know I'm mixed. I know who my parents are, but my peers do this or my, you know, like maybe people think I look more this than that, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Or it's that my parents, you know, I, I had this type of interaction or, or, difficulties with my parents and they happen to both be then that made an extra complexity mm. to you know just regular any parent could have done to their child mm-hmm. but it just added a complication that they also want to be able to talk about at the same time you yeah. know so if it's like okay my I don't know like you mentioned abusive parents well okay maybe I want to talk about my abusive parent but my abusive parent also came from this culture so 
I think it made either the abuse different or their, hey, I perceive this culture is a little bit different or I have trouble with this and that because of, you know, so it gets tied to larger things. But I have never had a client or I've never had anybody just walk in and be like, I don't know how to be mixed. It's always, I see. It comes from before that. And then it just gets, um, tied into something larger. And so when you, un, un, like, when you like dissolve or resolve the larger thing, then mm-hmm. they're free to kind of be like, all right, like now I can be me because I was dealing with this other bigger thing. Mm. So I'm very pro therapy. I've never had a person of color. Like I've only had white therapists and oh, wow. I end up spending most of my $90, a hundred dollars an hour <laughs> teaching them how to oh, interact with gosh. me. Um, it's very frustrating. I have, uh, the only time I almost had access to a black therapist, a black woman therapist, which is if I can't find a mixed therapist, which was my next trying to journey. Um, I was at least trying to find a black woman and, Mm -hmm. um, she didn't want to speak to me because I was polyamorous and she felt that her Christianity would make it very difficult for her to help me. Uh, so like the only time I I finally get close, I said, well, good. At least she said that. So she, at least she said it and and harm you more. Right. The problem, Mm -hmm. like the, the, the sadness for me was just like, I finally get close to having like how hard it is to find a black woman therapist where I was at specifically too at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she, she didn't want to talk to me, but I end up spending most of my, my hour educating and um, it's so frustrating. So I haven't been to a therapist now and I, because of money reasons really in the mm-hmm. last like two years or okay. a year and a half or so. But the mm-hmm. most recent therapist I had, she was, I want to say she's an attempted woke white woman. Like she was, she really tried to do some work and mm-hmm. she would take a session and then later on, you know, investigate a little bit and come back and say like, yes, last time you talked about X, Y, Z and you mentioned, you know, that I don't understand, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of looked into it. She's like, tell me if this is, if I'm kind of getting to the right track. And she would kind of tell me what she was reading or, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So it was the first time a white woman therapist had ever like actually tried to say, or, and at least constantly state, I know that I don't know what you're experiencing. Like I understand that I don't. And so it was nice to stick with her, at least in that respect, because while she couldn't really help, she at least was just a sounding board who was trying, mm-hmm. you know, and I would still like recommend her to people now if I, if, if I had to, but my goal would still be to find like a black or a mixed black therapist yeah. now, if I could. And I, well, now you know someone who knows somebody. So yeah, you know. that's a wonderful, I'm so I'm, I'm glad I'm probably definitely as soon as I can get some in some money, I might uh, hit you up for for some recommendations. But for me, like I'm trying to figure out like, how are people even supposed to apply? approach because it's not like we get a discount if we spend 75 percent of our session educating (laughs) you know like how are how are mex people even able to approach their monoracial therapists to be able to say like i you know because the the other part is that the 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 monoracial therapist may not even identify that the thing that they're dealing with in that moment that might sound like it's unrelated actually does have a root in in their mixed identity well, I mean, if your question is how are they supposed to approach it, honestly, they don't have to. You, if you feel like this therapist is not getting that or you can't present this part of you and talk about it in a way that someone 
is able to convey that they can understand what at least you're saying. They may not have ever been in your shoes, but to at least understand what you're trying to say, then you should, you have all ability to go somewhere else. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. is a waste of your time, like you said, and literally your money to try and spend a whole extra part of your session to just explain the backstory of the one thing that you wanted to say and then all the time it took to actually explain it and then you say the thing and then they still don't fully get it and then you're like (laughs) versus (laughs) say the thing and have the therapist be like oh because one and two and three and you're like yes yeah 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 Yeah. exactly yeah I've never had that experience I've had that experience on the show with people but I've never had that experience Mm -hmm. in my own therapy sessions yeah um I have had a randomly racist against specifically Japanese therapist before that I had to leave <laughs> because she would constantly remind me that that Japanese people are, are supremacists and, and horrible people. And that's probably the, the root of a lot of my problems. Wow. It was bold as hell. Um, I was 23, 24, somewhere around there. And we did about three sessions before like the first the it, it came out and it was kind of like a hmm, that was interesting. And then it was like the next one, it was like, yo. And by the right. third one, it was so specific. Like in terms of my memory of it, I think that's mm-hmm. how it happened. And by the third session, it was like, oh, you are racist. Like I should right. not be here. And I ended up like writing a letter to the to the medical group. And I'm pretty uh-huh. sure nothing happened um, right. as a result. But it was also like, you know, 15, 17 years ago. Wow. You know, maybe if I wrote that kind of letter now, it might be. I don't know. Right. It wouldn't. But yeah, so I've never like I, I wonder now as a 42 year old who's been in and out of therapy my whole life, like what therapy mm-hmm. was damaging because of how mm-hmm. much work I had to put in and what mm-hmm. what therapy was um was damaging because of their biases. You know, like I don't know. And I really only feel like I've had I've had two pretty solid therapists of all the therapists I've had. And one of them was like best intentions she mm-hmm. never addressed like if I mentioned race, she would counter with something else. But she was still like yeah. trying to help. I could tell she was, and she just didn't get it. Whereas like the last one was like actively doing work, and it was the first time right. I'd ever seen a white woman like actively do work. Well, I would say like I don't believe. I mean, I think it would be a a, a strong word to say <clears throat> someone is is damaging when they can't address it. Mm -hmm. But I certainly believe it's, it's not helpful and it's not healing, whether it's fully damaging, you know, could be, could not be, but I definitely feel like it's, if nothing else, it's a waste of time. It slows your progress. It's not helpful. It's not healing. You know what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. you're just further stuck in the thing that you're actually trying to resolve when that person is not able to help you. I mean, that's like me going to the dentist and the dentist like, um, okay, I can, I can, you know, walk you through how to do your feeling. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to work around your cavity and I can, I can sort of look at your cavity partly and then (laughs) you're just going to, I'm just not getting the help I need. So why would I keep when you're like, Ooh, cavities, tell me more. What exactly do you mean by cavity and right 
you know what I'm right. saying? Like, I mean, to, teeth are really all the same. And you're like, no, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. Right. Like, like so I, I, to me, for me, cultural competence and cultural humility in a therapist is extremely important. I've mm-hmm. definitely had these experience because in grad school, we had to get therapy. I've had one therapist in a, in a postdoc program I was in where I tried to bring up some race stuff that was happening in my postdoc. And she was like, well, we know that's not really what it was. Right. And I'm like, wow. So, yeah. I was like, mm, okay. Note to self, like, lucky for you. I'm already in school. Like I, I, I thought I could process it here, but I know where I can process it you right. know, otherwise. And pretty soon after that, I was like, whatever hours I needed to get, I was done with. And I'm like, she, I remember she tried to call me later. Like, I just want to let you know if you want to, you know, I think she was wanting to start a private practice or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, honey, I would never come and see never. you. Like, yeah. You're a nice person. That's it. You're just a nice person. You are not a good therapist. Yeah. For so many reasons, but especially for someone like me. Like, right. there were so many things I learned that I could not bring up there, which means there were so many things I could, I could not process, and she right. could not help me process. So what am I paying you for? What am I you know? paying you for? Yeah. It took, me a, it took me to get into my 40s for me to realize I could stop paying. Right. You know, like, until, like I had to put it in kind of that monetized term for me to realize like this is actually not helpful right so what am I paying for so that I can talk about this other thing and just kind of like half address it or partially address it you know right right and but though I am pro therapy I've just like unfortunately not had the experience until my 40s where someone actually made that kind of an effort um you know I mean they tackled the abuse and all that kind of stuff or whatever great Uh, definitely Mm -hmm. I'm much healthier now because of those experiences Mm -hmm. but race became something that I definitely needed to address my identity and and understanding um, how to process those moments of like not being enough of. Right. You know, um, I think I do as good I can on my own now because I actually am actively addressing it on a regular basis with a lot of people, but you know, they're not therapists. (laughs) They're not trained with that, with that kind of competency. That's interesting. Well, okay. Do you mind if I ask, uh, I would, I've been wanting to put together a resource page for, for mixed race, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things, like even if it's just books or things, uh, and I'm gathering a few things to put onto the website, but, um, perhaps having a therapist section or a resource section for mental health would be, I mean, it's something I talk about so often, so that might be Mm -hmm. a great thing. Do you have something like that that maybe I can link to your site for, or? Yeah, for sure. You can link to my site. Um, I was going to say another resource that I'll be putting out soon as well is for parents of mixed Mm -hmm. um, teens. And, you know, a lot of times if we look at identity development, especially in my practice, what a lot of the uh, older clients that I'm seeing that, you know, like young adults that not, you know, maybe their late 20s and early 30s, they're kind of like, I really wish my parents would have done one, two and three or my parents never did that and the other. So I'm like, okay, I would like to create a program where I can work with those parents of teens now and be Mm -hmm. like, here's what you need to start talking about. Here's how you need to approach it. Like you were saying with Sonia says, if your kid comes home and one kid says they're Korean, one kid says they're black, this is how you handle it. And this is what you say. And this is how you support them. And Mm -hmm. this way you kind of cut down some of that work so that when they 
get a little older, they can be like, yeah, okay, I'm cool. My parent was, was right behind me, coaching me through me finding my identity. So I didn't have to do it by myself and be yeah. grasping for straws and be like, should I, am I allowed to listen to hip hop? Should I go to the Bollywood film? Like, what should I do? And am mm-hmm. I allowed to, like, you need other people. You shouldn't have to wait until you're much older and then, you know, find mm-hmm. a, like you said, like DM you and be like, can I do this? Like yeah. your parents should have been there for you. Actually, um, that's something that came up on our group chat last Sunday. So every Sunday at 10 a.m., I have the virtual hangout for, for folks. And we have about eight or so list, uh, regulars. And then we have like randomly four to five new people will pop up on occasion. Mm-hmm. But last week, what ended up coming up is how often our parents didn't have our back in, sec- right. in sessions that were like formative. You know, and you could see like those of us that were like really messed up still like about it. And it came because one of the parents, one of the women that is a regular in the group, she had mentioned that uh, she's about to bring her family to spend time with their probably kind of on the racist side, white relatives. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to know like how to in their house, tell them not to talk about certain things in front of her kids, you know, that kind of a thing. And so um, two of us, I was one of them, but another person there, we both said, we have vivid memories of being confronted with a racist relative or something like that, where our parents didn't do anything. Exactly. And in those moments, we knew we didn't have protection. And even though, even if we were so young, we didn't quite understand what was happening. We knew that physically our bodies were responding to Mm-hmm. The negativity of what was happening. Like the second we both thought me and the other woman who were talking, the second we both thought about what it would be like if our parents just put their hand on our shoulder and stood up for us, or, or like if we were standing up for ourselves, put their hand on our shoulder and told them they had our back. Like the, 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 just the thought of that happening made us yep. both really emotional and yeah. because we didn't have that experience yeah. and it was, um, I think it was eye-opening for, for the, the mixed woman who was there because she's like, I also didn't have that, but I didn't even, like, she's like, I don't even know that I'm okay, that I'm allowed to stand up for myself. Like, you know, so, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that her family never addressed it when she was a kid. And now she's got mixed kids, you know, right. and they're going to have to address it. Parents don't know what to say. They don't know how to handle it. They don't really, they, it finally yeah. hits them. They're like, oh, wait, yeah. I don't know what it's like to be mixed. Yeah. I, I, I thought I was... You know, I just fell in love with who I fell in love with or, you know. Solved racism in that moment. (laughs) Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like we liked each other and we got along and then we didn't really think about, oh, yeah, Yeah. kids. Who's going to treat us this way? Who's going to talk about that? So they don't know how to approach it Mm -hmm. because honestly, a lot of times they haven't done the work themselves to even just really think through what does my relationship mean? How do Mm -hmm. I see myself as a racial being? Okay, I'm a you know, I'm a white woman. I married a Kenyan man. How do I see myself as a white woman? How do I view Kenyans? How do I view black people? Right. How do I, view... and then how am I going to translate all that to my kids? Like, that's a lot of thought. They're just like, I just really liked him and we got along and he's so great. And he loved me and I loved him. And then we mm-hmm. had babies and aren't they so cute? And then, then the baby's like, I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> the parents are like, Oh, um, you know, like mm-hmm. take your questions away. I don't know. I mean, I'm multi-generationally mixed. My I'm second generation mixed and my mm-hmm. my parents didn't help. Like they didn't right. get it. So because they yeah. didn't they weren't it didn't come up for them. Well, it came up for them, but they didn't have it addressed 
So their response when I was asking questions was not addressing it. Like that was the lesson that they had learned. And I'm not planning on having kids. I'm not a kid friendly space, but like, I, I value that. Like, I think that's important work for us to be doing as a community. And so that our future generations of mixed kids actually feel like self-actualized full human beings, despite the fact that people are telling them that they're partial. Right. But it just makes that process of becoming so self-actualized just a little bit easy, a little bit sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you know, you're going to have to do the work no matter what. You're still going to have to grapple with your phenotype and whatever else. And But at least if you know your parents tried to talk and help you through as much as they could, mm-hmm. okay, good. Then you got some groundwork. But yeah. a lot of times, the story folks are starting from zero. Like, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I? And become- at least new books are starting to pop up now. If people do yeah. are readers and things like that, at least there are starting mm-hmm. to be resources for that. But I mean, I was a full adult before the first time I saw the words "mixed race" written into a book, and it was Naomi Zach. Mm-hmm. was the very first person, and and I don't love how she opens it, like. But it was the first one that I saw, you know, like right. it, it was someone who clearly didn't have, who like me had an upbringing where it wasn't really addressed often and unless I was the one addressing it and things like that. But like, even in, in uh, her opener, I really struggled out. Like there was times when I wanted to put it down because of the intro mm. and it was like, well, keep pushing through because this woman was in the same boat you were <laughs> like uh-huh. nobody yeah. talked about this. So where do we start? We start from what we have and then we kind of build from it. Uh, it's, yeah. you know, hopefully getting better with time as, as pe- we have more resources and stuff like that. But I yeah, mean, uh, but like, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at now. Like the beginning, the beginning year, six months to a year of the show was like me trying to figure out what this whole thing was. And now that I feel pretty comfortable in, in my format and sort of how I'm addressing things now it's trying to connect the resource points to other people and, and things. And um, it's, it's something I do feel behind on in terms of like my website and connecting people. We do finally have on Facebook, we have a private group and that is starting to take off. It's, it's been in existence the entire time, but it's uh-huh. only now that people are actually starting engaging and I'm not the only one posting. You know, they're starting to share their own articles. They're starting to figure out who has connections with other people. Like, oh, I was, a, I was raised Mennonite too, you know. Like we're finally starting to have those types of, of um, yeah. conversations on that group, which is great. And then we awesome. do the social distancing, virtual hangouts on Sundays now. And mm-hmm. um, like all of those little things are like starting to to create these spaces and these resources. But um, I definitely want to get further along. And, you know, I want to be able to answer the question if someone calls me up and they're like, I need a mixed therapist. I want to be able to go like, I got you, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite yeah. there yet. Um yeah. Um, in terms of like right now, mostly what I can say is like, if you want to read a fictional book about a mixed race, multi-generational family, I, here's a book, you know, like if you want to hear a memoir about, about this person, here's a book I know, like that's kind of where I'm at right now. Or listen to this podcast. If you're trying to find another version of what is happening on Militantly Mixed, like that's so far as my current um, yeah resource guide for folks. No, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I appreciate the chatting with me extra too outside of the the thing to to talk about this so because I think um I have very many steps that I'm trying to eventually accomplish in this you know professional mixed race life <laughs> um mm-hmm. being professionally mixed I, I think is the 
I, I created the show because of a gap in my own personal life. So the start of it was, was I make a joke about it being a selfish endeavor, but it was really because I wanted to talk to mixed people and I wanted to be able to have conversations that were, I didn't have to lay out the context, you know, that we could say, oh, I understand what you're going through because blah, blah, blah. Like I wanted to be able to have conversations like that. And um, everything that I was finding in terms of the podcast world were like, white journalists telling America that there were these hybrid people that are in existence and, you know, they exist and here's their stories. And they didn't yeah. film like they, they weren't framed from our perspective. They were framed through a white journalist view. The few mixed race podcasts that existed that were hosted by mixed race people were pretty much dead by the time I started. You know, they might have six to eight or 12 episodes and then there was nothing else. Um, um, so it was important to me that when I started, I didn't, that I pushed through whatever that hump was, you know, that six, eight, 12 episode hump. I needed to push through that. And it took until about the 12th to maybe 15th episode for me to finally settle into my, my, uh, my flow. Like I needed all of those conversations to figure out what this was supposed to be. Um, Now that I have it down, now that I'm comfortable with my format, what I want to try to do is add more of that village mentality and that community care um, side of it. Because mm-hmm. uh, what I was feeling like I was in danger of is how many times people email me to ask me permission to be their mixed ass selves, like, like I was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, if a person needs something like that, do I want to turn them away? Absolutely not. But I... T- it's so important that I'm not the only podcast voice. And, and so now I'm telling people, don't just listen to my show, listen to some kind of Brown, listen to mm-hmm. um, mixed with the apostrophe D, you know, like listen mm-hmm. to these other things, you know, join these organizations that, that we've had guests from that kind of stuff. Like I'm, I'm trying to not be the only mixed voice because that's also defeating the purpose of what we're trying to do, you know, create the footprint of, mixed narratives and things like that. Like it's important that we have places for the younger generation to go to, but it's also kind of important for the older generation because I've got people that are as old as like 68 emailing me, asking me for permission for them to be mixed, you know, cause they come from a time where they literally could not talk about it. You know, now we sort of figuratively struggle with talking about it, but in the fifties and the forties and the, you know, they weren't allowed they definitely right. weren't allowed. Right. Um, and half of them were illegal. Like, you know, if they, if they weren't military yeah. families, they were illegal. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm, that's where I'm at now. I'm trying to focus my efforts into, into maintaining the show as it is because it's a, it's an important resource for what it does, but I want to expand into being able to create these like uh, community care yeah. resources. And if not create link, You're, yeah, link them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah. So if you get emails from me from time to time. <laughs> okay. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts.
Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.